Thank you. Well, friends, it's so good to see you again this evening. Um, we're really glad that you're here. And if this is your first night, uh, we're delighted to see you especially. We pray that God will bless you and that the Word of God will challenge the hearts of everyone here this evening. Lovely to hear the Kingdom Heirs again. We always enjoy your ministry. And I was just thinking, uh, as you get up to sing, you've been on the road for a long, long time. And like myself, you're getting gray. And that's uh, still lovely to hear you singing so well. So thank you so much for that ministry in song. Do pray for the meetings. I was listening to an old cassette today. And some of those old Keswick preachers, those old holiness preachers, they used to say, if there's much prayer, there's much blessing. And if there's little prayer, there's little blessing. And if there's no prayer, there's no blessings. Let's really pray in these days for a move of the Spirit of God. And pray in these days that the Lord will save souls here and carried off and further afield. There's other gospel missions on. And we really look to the Lord. And wouldn't it be wonderful to live through a time of spiritual awakening and spiritual revival? God is still in the throne. And we believe tonight in the power of the cross. And we pray tonight that if you've never been to the Savior, that even tonight you'll come to know him as Lord, Master, Savior, and friend. Just a few verses tonight from the Old Testament, please. First Kings, and we're in chapter 18. The 18th chapter of First Kings, and we're going to break into the chapter there at verse number 17. First Kings 18, and verse number 17. Ahab is a wicked king. He's reigning on the throne in Israel. And there's a prophet in the land at that time, a man called Elijah, a prophet of fire. And God is mightily using Elijah. And this is one of those wonderful portions of God's word, we might say, in every sense of the phrase, it's a mountaintop chapter in the Bible. First Kings chapter 18 and verse 17. And we're just reading down to verse 21. Just a few verses. First Kings 18 verse 17. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he, that is Elijah, answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto the, all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And here's our text for this evening. Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal... Then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. And God will bless the reading of his word tonight to each and every heart. Verse 21, Elijah challenges a multitude of people in Mount Carmel. How long halt ye between two opinions? If Jehovah is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And he's calling the people to decision. They want to speak tonight very simply for a little while about the hour of decision, or we might even say the hour 
of indecision. But either way tonight, consciously or unconsciously, we're going to be making a decision whether we follow the Lord with all of our hearts or whether we go our own way or indeed the way of the world. Let's pray together. Let's invite the Lord to speak. And let's have all God's people praying. And let's really pray that the Spirit of God will move in hearts tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank Thee, O God, for this another time around Thy feet. We thank Thee, Lord, for the wonderful ministry and song. We thank You, Lord, that already we have been brought to the cross and brought to consider the Savior and to think about the greatness of God's love and God's mercy and God's grace. And we thank You, Lord, as well that we can sing and say from our hearts that Christ is the answer. And Lord, we pray now as the Word of God has been opened and read that the Holy Spirit Himself will fill this house and make the presence of God real. We pray in the Savior's name that you'll bless the saints of God and speak to those who are not yet converted, whether they're here in this building or some listening perhaps from the confines and comforts of their own home or some other place listening in online. May the Word of God captivate our hearts. And may there be, Lord, those who will step out for Christ and declare for Jesus in this meeting. Lord, I pray that you will fill me with thy desire for all who know not thee, and then touch my lips with holy fire to speak of Calvary. Hide me behind the cross. Glorify thy Son. May all things dovetail together for thy honor and for thy glory. We pray with thanksgiving in the Savior's name. Amen. 1 Kings chapter 18 is a well-known portion of Old Testament scripture. Elijah, the prophet of fire, is standing on the top of Mount Carmel. And he calls the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the groves to come and meet him there. And there's going to be a showdown between true religion and the false. You know, tonight God is concerned about these things. There is such a thing in the New Testament, there's a false Christ... A false gospel, false doctrine, false prophets. And the Lord tonight would have us decide with truth and with righteousness. Elijah in verse number 21 calls the people to decision. It seems that so many of the Israelite people in that day and generation were trying, if you like, to walk two journeys, travel two roads, ride two horses... And many of them were undecided. They were halting, Elijah says, between two opinions. They weren't sold out for God, the true God of heaven. And some of them were trying to live, as it were, with a foot in both camps. And so God's servant Elijah calls the children of Israel to decide clearly, decisively, for Jesus Christ and for the God of heaven. How long halt ye between two opinions? If Jehovah is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. You know, every day in life we make decisions. And sometimes we make decisions without really thinking at all about the decisions that we're making because many of life's decisions are small perhaps and insignificant. And then there are other decisions that are very vital and very important. Who we marry, what we study in college or university or school, what we work as, where we live, where we worship. All of those things are important decisions. 
who that we run about with and what we make our goals in life. These are all important decisions. But beloved tonight, the most important decision that any man or woman or young person can make is the decision that Pilate made, a question that Pilate asked. What shall I do with Jesus, which is called the Christ? I believe tonight the Word of God is always calling us to decision. I believe in the sovereignty of God whenever it comes to salvation. The Bible says salvation is of the Lord, but I don't believe in any concept of God's sovereignty that nullifies man's responsibility or man's accountability. The Word of God holds us accountable as to what we do with God and what we do with God's Son and what we do with God's Word and what we do with God's invitation and what we do with God's salvation. Whenever Moses was preaching his last sermon before being called home to glory, he said to the children of Israel, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you both life and death and blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. He was calling the children of Israel to decision. Joshua said, choose you this day whom ye will serve. In Exodus 32, Moses said, who is on the Lord's side? In John chapter 6, whenever many of the Lord's disciples decided they weren't going to walk anymore with him, the Lord turned to the twelve and said, Will ye also go away? And so, so many times the Bible calls us to decision. And here for the children of Israel and Mount Carmel, it was the hour of decision. The children of Israel had been sitting in the fence for far too long. And maybe tonight that's you. You're undecided. And you haven't clearly, decisively come out for Jesus Christ and trusted him as your Savior, as your Lord, and as your Master. You know, I believe tonight that many people in our world are lost and go out into a lost eternity because of their iniquity. Some die and go out into eternity because of immorality. Some are lost because of ignorance. They don't know the gospel. Others are lost because of indifference. They don't care. And then some tragically are lost because of indecision. They never clearly decide for Jesus Christ. And so they're lost. And I want to speak tonight for a little while about indecision or the hour of indecision. And I trust tonight that you will make this your night for God's salvation that you'll no longer be undecided, but you'll decide positively for Jesus Christ. Notice, first of all, or let's consider, first of all, the irrationality of indecision. Being undecided in the fundamentals of life and things as important as the gospel and our soul salvation is a very irrational thing. Nothing worthwhile ever really gets done in life without a clear-cut decision. Being indecisive is a very irrational thing. And as long as the children of Israel would not decide one way or the other, they were stuck. Elijah says you're halting between two opinions. You're kind of 
straddling the fence, you're halting, you're hobbling about, you're not really going one way or the other. It's such an irrational thing. If you really believe that Baal is God and Baal can satisfy you and Baal can save you and Baal is worth worshipping, serve him, walk with him, follow him. But if you really believe that Jehovah is God, then follow him. But there's nothing as irrational as being undecided. Choose one way or the other. Baal was the God of Canaan, the God of the world. Jehovah was the true and living God. The irrationality of indecision. You know the reality is sometimes in life if we don't make our own decisions, those decisions are often made for us. Ronald Reagan, whenever he was just a young lad in his teens, long before he became the president of the United States in the early 1980s, he said he learned the value as a young lad of making a clear-cut choice, a clear-cut decision. Not far from his home there was a shoemaker his old boots had worn out and he went to the shoemaker and says, I need a new pair of shoes. And the shoemaker says, well, what type of shoes do you want? You've got two choices. You can have round toes or square toes. Ronald Reagan says, well, I hadn't really thought much about that. I don't know what to do. What do you think? The shoemaker says, well, it's your choice. He says, come back in a couple of days once you've made your decision. Ronald Reagan went back in a couple of days and was still undecided. I don't know what shoes to take. Square toes, round toes, I'm just undecided. And this went on for three or four visits until at last he went back. And the shoemaker says, I've got your shoes ready. Ronald Reagan says, but I thought I had to decide. And he says, I've made your choice for you. And he handed him a box and inside there were two shoes. One had a round toe and the other had a square toe. And he learned right then the importance of making a clear-cut decision. Otherwise, the decision's made for you. And I believe tonight it's the same with God's salvation. Jesus Christ once said, He that is not for me or he that is not with me is against me. In fact, in John's Gospel, chapter 3, he says, He that believeth not is condemned already. Some people have the idea that whenever they leave this world and they leave this scene of time and they stand before the judgment throne of God, that then and only then God will decide where they spend eternity. But if you have not positively decided for Christ, no decision has to be made. The decision has been made already. You're lost. You're condemned already. You're on the broad road that leads to destruction. And so tonight you see the importance of deciding clearly for Jesus Christ. Moses, whenever he was a young man, recognized he had to make a choice. Whether he would choose Egypt or choose the God of heaven. And it's recorded in Hebrews 11, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. There was a young man and the entire world was at his feet. He was a prince in Egypt. He would inherit the world. But he recognized if I had gained the whole world, I could lose my very soul. And I would rather suffer and side with the children of God and the people of God and to live a life of purpose and then one day go to glory than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. They're only for a season. And he made the choice clearly. 
And he decided he would leave Egypt and he would go and serve God. And he discovered that God had a wonderful plan and a wonderful purpose for his life. I wonder tonight whose side are you really on? My mom grew up not far from here in the Drummelig Road, not far from Rockmount Golf Course many years ago. And I remember going to visit my grandparents in that home and they had in their kitchen hanging up, do you remember those little canisters and they were filled with what was called fly paper? And it was maybe about two feet long and it hung from the ceiling. And in the summertime, it was disgusting. You got all these blue bottles and wasps and bees and all these little flies stuck to this thing. One side was sticky and the other side wasn't. But it mattered a lot to the fly what side of the paper it was on. And so it is with you tonight. It's vital, it's critically important whose side you're on tonight. What side of the cross you're on. What side of Christ you're on? Because there's coming a day whenever he's going to separate the sheep from the goats and divide those in his left hand and those in his right. The irrationality of indecision. What about the insecurity of indecision? Here in uh, 1 Kings 18, God is about to reveal himself in a wonderful way. In fact, he's going to reveal himself in judgment. And as long as the children of Israel were undecided, they were certainly not in a secure place. And so long as you're undecided and you're halting between two opinions, you're not really in a safe place at all. Anything could happen before this night's out. Anything could happen before this week draws to a close. Being undecided with regards to the Savior with regards to your soul, with regards to salvation, being indecisive is a very insecure place to be. I can remember almost, well, 25 years ago now almost, starting to preach as a young man in the open air on a Saturday afternoon and on a Thursday night in Lisburn, my hometown. And I can remember a man that I offered a gospel tract to and he flatly refused it. And within half an hour, whenever the open air came to a close, there was an ambulance at the top of Bow Street and that poor man was in the broad of his back. And he'd gone into cardiac arrest. And I don't know whether he lived or died, but I did wonder, walking past, was that his last opportunity? The Bible says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You could lose your faculties. The Spirit of God could stop striving with you. You could be called from time into eternity. The Son of God could come back again. Anything could happen. Judgment could fall. And all the while you remain undecided. Last night we thought about Lot being delivered from Sodom. Do you remember Lot's wife came out of Sodom with him? And before she got to Zoar, the place of refuge, she stopped. And she's just like the children of Israel here. She's halting between two opinions. She came so far and then she stopped and instead of getting to Zoar, she turned around and she looked back with longing in her heart and probably she would have gone back and immediately she was turned into a pillar of salt. People can speculate as to whether or not it was well with that woman's soul. But all the while until she got to Zoar, she certainly wasn't in a secure place. Sometimes well-meaning Christians will say to the unconverted, I'm probably guilty of it myself. Did you ever think about getting saved? Did you ever think about trusting Christ? 
Because if something should happen to you, you'd want to know that you're going to heaven. And sometimes we use that phrase, if something should happen, as if there's some type of uncertainty about it. Friends, tonight something will happen to you. Every single one of us tonight, 100 years from now, will be in God's eternity. Something will happen. There will come a time whenever you will die and you'll leave this scene of time. Where will you be five minutes after you leave this world? The whole uncertainty about being undecided. Opportunity is limited. This is an hour of opportunity for you, an hour of decision. Whenever I was learning to drive in Lisburn, our driving instructor was a Christian. I hadn't seen him for years, and then he came to a gospel mission we had about a year ago. He was a believer. And I have to be honest, he was quite impatient with me whenever I was learning to drive. I was a little bit hesitant. Sometimes you come to a roundabout or a T-junction, and you just weren't sure whether you'd got enough time to get out into the flow of traffic or not. And almost in one sentence, he would say to me, there's your chance, you've missed it. And as soon as you're about to let the clutch out, he says, you've missed it. And he just gives you such a short window of opportunity, just a couple of seconds. But God has kept a door of opportunity open for some of you for 40, 50, 60, maybe 70 years. And you still haven't availed yourself of that great opportunity. And tonight you're not in a secure place. The insecurity of indecision. The irrationality of indecision. But then there's also what I believe we could call the intention of indecision. Some people are undecided. But they're sort of partly decided that someday they might become a Christian. Someday they might get saved. Someday they'll repent of their sins and, and get right with God. And it seems that the children of Israel, summoned to Mount Carmel by Elijah, were sort of had an intention that once they had flirted about with the world and enjoyed Baal for a while, that maybe they would try Jehovah and get serious about God. But it was just an intention there in the back of their minds. A little bit like Felix whenever Paul stood before him and related his wonderful testimony. What a beautiful story it was. Saul converted dramatically, suddenly, powerfully in the road to Damascus. And everywhere he went, he says, I witnessed a small and great, telling people what the Son of God has done for me. And he was exactly the same whenever he stood before Felix and related his whole story and his testimony and began to apply the gospel. And he reasoned of righteousness and of temperance and of judgment to come and shared with Felix the gospel. And then Felix said, go thy way for this time. But when I have a more convenient season, I will come for thee. He was undecided, but he was making a, a sort of resolve that someday he would make the right decision, just not that night. Whenever I was in Korean, there was a man stayed behind one Sunday and was counseled for salvation, put his trust in the Lord. And from that moment on, he had a, a real burden to win his friends and his old army pals and his family for the Lord. And he came to me one day and said, there's a man and in hospital, I wonder, would you go and see him? He's been diagnosed with cancer. He's very ill, and he's not saved, and I'm worried about him. So I went the next day, and I went to visit this man. He was in the side ward, and we got plenty of time together. And I sat down. His name was Norman, and I says, Norman, so-and-so sent me, and he, he wants me to talk to you. And I says, how are you feeling? And he says, I'm not well. And he talked about his illness, and he talked about his family. 
And then I shared the gospel with him and he, he listened very well and I gave him some gospel literature and some little booklets and I, I challenged him about his soul. And he says, listen, he says, I have a whole lot of things to see to first. He says, I don't disagree with anything that you're saying, but listen, he says, I've got, I've got a will to make out. I've got a, a wife to provide for. I've, I've got a home. I've got solicitors and accountants and all sorts of people to see. And I have so many things to see to first, but I, I will give this due care and consideration. I says, well, listen, I'll come back again and try you again. And a few weeks went by and I called back to see him and it was the same story all over again. He said, I agree with what you're saying. And you know, I, I've been thinking about a lot and I've read the little booklets you gave me. But you know, I, I have so many other things that I have to see to first. And I says, well, Norman, there's nothing in all the world that's more important than this. And given the diagnosis that you have, I would, I would think very seriously about these things. And, and those other things can wait. But the Bible says now is the accepted time. It was only a, a week or two after that that the phone went it was one of the local undertakers. And he mentioned this man by name and he says, do you know him? And I says, well, I don't know him that well. I've only met him a couple of times. And he says, well, I suppose you know by now why I'm ringing. He's passed away. No church connection. And his wife mentioned that she'd been, he'd been speaking to you. Would you conduct the funeral? And all I could think about was that line that he kept coming off with. So many other things to see to first. Putting God at the back of the queue. Some other time whenever more convenient season. Maybe you've been doing that yourself for years. I'll raise up my family. I'll, I'll, I'll finish out my working life. I'll get the mortgage paid off. I'll, I'll see to all these other things. And then maybe someday I'll get right with God. And you've got the intention that someday you'll get saved. But that old Adam is, is so true, isn't it? The road to hell is paved with, with good intentions. Harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. The Savior said, strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many shall seek to enter in, but shall not be able. What an awful tragedy if you were to leave this scene of time and go out into eternity. And you know in your heart, I've never really decided for Christ. I never made it clear. What about the indefensibility of indecision. Look at her text again. How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. They had no answer. Elijah's challenging me. He loves these people. These are his friends, his neighbors, his countrymen. He wants to see them walking with God and wants to see them in glory someday. And he challenges them to decide for God and decide with truth and to follow the Lord with all their hearts. But they don't give any answer. They probably knew in their hearts that this was an important decision and the right thing to do was give their lives to God. And maybe tonight you know in your heart that the right way to live is to live as a Christian. And the right way to die is to die as a Christian. But you're not yet a Christian. And if somebody was to ask you, why are you not saved? Why are you not a Christian? You wouldn't have an answer. Years ago, we used to do outreach on a Thursday night late on in Shaftesbury Square amongst the students and different people that were going to the pubs and clubs that were very popular way back there in the 1990s. In Manhattan and all those sorts of places and laveries. And the streets were packed on a Thursday night, student night. 
And just before we would have left to come home, it was nearly one o'clock in the morning. There used to be a wee man that came along every, every Thursday night and he had this little black and white dog. man's name was Ricky and he was sort of a bit of a skeptic and he used to laugh and say things to us and tell us we were crazy and all these things. And one night we got talking and he opened up his heart and he says, you know, my wife's a Christian. My daughter's a Christian. And I says, but Ricky, you're not a Christian. And he says, that's right. And I says, Ricky, is your wife's testimony consistent? She says, yeah. I says, what about your daughter? He says, yeah. I says, there's nothing in their lives that would put you off becoming a Christian. And I says, Ricky, has God been good to you? And he says, he has. And then I said to him, well, why? What has he ever done against you that you're not a Christian? And he just said, I don't know. Indefensible. He couldn't answer a word whenever he is challenged. Why do you reject the Lord Jesus Christ? Can I ask you tonight why you're not a Christian? Why are you not saved? Sunday night we thought about a lot of the excuses that people make as to why they won't come to the great supper. But you know, whenever we stand before God someday, if you're not a believer, the Bible says every mouth shall be stopped and you'll stand as one guilty before Almighty God. It's the hour of decision tonight or the hour of indecision perhaps for some of you. The irrationality of indecision, the insecurity of indecision, the intention of indecision, the indefensibility of indecision. One thought in closing, what about the inverse or the opposite of of indecision. What's the remedy to being so undecisive whenever it comes to the things of God? It's to clearly step out and declare for Jesus Christ. The Bible says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The Lord Jesus Christ said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. That's why the little children's chorus says, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. Whenever somebody was carrying a cross through the streets of Jerusalem, anybody looking at them knew that man or that woman or that young person, they're not coming back. They're going out there to die. And whenever a person is in Christ, they're kneeled to the cross as it were. And yet they live in newness of life and resurrection life. And they follow on to really know and really, really serve the Lord. You know what happens in a few moments time in Mount Carmel. Whenever they built this altar and the bullet was put on the altar. And Elijah prayed and fire came down from heaven. And consumed the sacrifice. It was really a picture of the cross. The difference being that on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ was the sacrifice. And rather than the fire of God falling and consuming the sacrifice, the fire of God's wrath and judgment fell upon him, but the sacrifice consumed the fire. And he was able to cry with victory and with triumph, it's finished, the work is done. And Mount Carmel, the people fell before Almighty God and many of them sided with God and they made that decision on the basis of what happened by way of sacrifice. And I believe tonight whenever a person realizes the love of God and their need for God's salvation, 
and they see the wonder of the cross and they call upon the Lord, their life is changed and transformed forever. Some of you tonight are maybe undecided about God's salvation because you have this feeling and this fear that you couldn't keep it. But the lovely thing is, whenever you give your life to Jesus Christ, he keeps you. He says in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I wonder, is there somebody here tonight or somebody else listening in online and God has challenged you? You may be even thinking about becoming a Christian, getting saved, getting converted, whatever way you want to put it. And the Lord's brought you tonight to a crossroads. And this is the hour of decision. I pray tonight that the Spirit of God will give you grace, that you'll simply trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Call upon him. Why not come to him tonight? Why not make this your night for God's salvation? Whether you're old or whether you're young, I can tell you tonight from personal experience, I serve a wonderful Savior. I wouldn't change my salvation for, for anything in all the world. I'm glad that my sins are forgiven. I'm glad that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. I'm glad that someday I'm going to heaven. I'd love to see you there. Why not come to Christ tonight? Why not decide for him? Call upon him. Seek him tonight. If we can help you, we can pray with you. We can open the scriptures with you. We've got some little booklets here we can give to you. But make that choice tonight with God's grace and help while the Spirit of God works in your heart. Decide for Jesus Christ. You'll never regret it. God bless you.